The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect that of the staff and management of Good Karma Brands, but are the sole responsibility of the hosts and guests of this particular show. America may have many, many days, but they will be full of trouble. There will be no rest. There will be no tranquility in this country. Until a nation comes to turn with our problems. Bringing you social and political commentary from his mouth to your ears. Breaking down the issues which matter to you. You are not put here to be a white man's footstool. You are put here to represent the very best in God's world. Legendary civil rights icon, the Reverend Jesse Jackson in the studio. Reverend Jackson, how are you? Mr. Reverend, good morning on this chilly Milwaukee morning. And I am pleased to have one of the founding members of the Black Panther Party, Chairman Bobby Seal. Mr. Chairman, how are you this morning? Good morning. I'm doing just fine. Thank you. From Mr. Eric Holder. Mr. Holder, so good to see you. How are you? Well, I'm fine, man. How you been? It's been a long time. Haven't seen you for a while. The Dr. Cornell West. Dr. West, how are you, sir? My dear brother, you're so kind. You're so generous, so man. But I salute you and the work that you were doing there. You're doing a magnificent job there, Wisconsin. Stream live on 1017thetruth.com. Call in with your questions or comments. 833-212-1017. Join us on social media at 1017thetruth. It may not be what you expect to hear, but I will definitely give you what you need to know. Are you ready for the truth? I want the truth you can't handle the truth now live from the american family insurance studio at the avenue in the heart of downtown milwaukee here is sherwin hughes good morning welcome to the program today is thursday february 29th 2024 it's the last day of black history month thank god oh it's been the longest black history month in four years Oh, all kidding aside, I hope it was an informative Black History Month. You know, we did our vignettes, of course, and our historical facts that we play for you guys here on 1017 The Truth. And hopefully it was a month of good conversation and reflection. If I'm going to take one thing from the month, we had a really good series of discussions about the expansion of Juneteenth Day, or at least I want it expanded. Because now that it is a federal holiday, the way we celebrate and commemorate June 19th, 1865 should be much larger and much grander in scale. But then it also comes into conflict conflict with do African-Americans want to keep and harbor our culture to ourselves and celebrate amongst ourselves? Or are we ready to understand that culture has no copyright? However, those discussions will likely continue speaking of continuing discussions i would like to as best i can demystify the most recent supreme court decision relating donald trump's attempts to stop the peaceful transfer of power all of the events on january 6 2021 i know you guys have heard about it for three plus years you're probably tired of it But the criminal activity that the president was or was not involved in is on full display. And there's a very troubling decision that the Supreme Court has handed down recently. So they haven't made a decision, but they are going to hear the election interference case as it pertains to all of the activities that led up to January 6th. 
Now, what the Supreme Court has done should be very troubling to all of us. So it's going to basically come down to this, and I'm not sure how we're going to make the case, but the case needs to be made. Where we are in American democracy isn't about how you feel about one candidate or the other. It is much larger than how you personally feel about either candidate. If there's one thing that I wish I could do, if I had a magic wand, I would remove the emotion and the personal feelings and sentiments out of our politics. It is business and we have to see it as such. But because politics is not taught in a way or explained in a way in which people look at it as business, people just use their emotion. If you're, if you do not understand the details and the science of something, the political science of our politics, it's going to be about how you feel. So if you can't be objective about the facts, it's about, well, how does it make you feel? How does Joe Biden make you feel? How does Trump make you feel? And Trump capitalizes off of that because there is emotion around Donald Trump. He is capitalizing off of people that do not know how to see American politics and the execution of the federal law as business and science. He capitalizes off of a feeling, people's emotions, people's sentiments. And in my opinion, that is weak. When else have you seen people flying a flag with the name of an American president? When else have you seen in this country? You've seen it in third world countries. You've seen it in countries where you've you've had military dictators, where people are buying memorabilia and merchandise and hats. Like Donald Trump has a merch store. You know that's fundamentally un-American. We don't worship presidents like that. They're here for a short time, not a long time. They do some things underneath the guise of a political party with their version of how you best move this country forward and keep us competitive and keep us on top globally. That's it. But this man has gotten a hold of people's emotions, making people feel some kind of way, making poor people that have literally nothing but their faith in him think that he is one of them. You got to be careful of a salesman. We should have exercised more caution with him. But because he is able to play on people's emotions, here's the thing about Joe Biden. Joe Biden does not really appeal to Democrats' emotion. There's no love for him. Like, like there's no sentimental, doting, affectionate love for Joe Biden. There might be some respect. You think people are going nuts at Joe Biden rallies? Flying signs and banners or wearing Joe Biden merchandise? Absolutely not. And let me tell you why. As someone who is a Democrat, but someone who sees politics as business. I think that's insane to worship a president like people worship Donald Trump. Where where does that get us? Explain to me, because I might be missing the mark here. How does that help childhood poverty? How does a doting and an abiding affection for Donald Trump give houses to the homeless. How does it put reparations money in a black person's pocket? You tell me how this doting and abiding affection for Donald Trump so much. So you will spend your money to wear his hat, to wear his t-shirts where you want to make America great again in his version. How does that help 
put more funding in public education. How does that replace the lead water pipes that are poisoning people in this country? Explain that to me. How does that reduce our reliance on foreign fossil fuels? How does that get world peace? How does that have nuclear proliferation by loving Donald Trump? It doesn't because people have forgotten the business side of it and they're just being coaxed by their emotion. The Supreme Court and all nine of their members, they have a strategy. And it's becoming very, very clear what that strategy is. They are allowing Donald Trump to execute his legal strategy. And most of his cases, especially the ones that are before the nation right now, it's not even to defend what he did. It's not to defend his conduct as legal and legitimate. You have to know whenever you hear stuff about these different court cases, because it's a lot to keep track of. It's almost a full time job trying to keep your finger on the pulse of all these things that are moving through district courts, the appellate court, what's going to be heard by the U.S. Supreme Court, what is going to be rejected and thrown down and accepting of a lower court ruling. It's a lot. And most people are not legal scholars. I am not either, but I'm trying my level best to keep up with it all. It's he's never trying to defend what he did as legitimate and legal. He just wants to delay. That's it. Now we have a, it's a rule, I suppose it's not a law, but like an unspoken rule that exists within the U S justice department. If there is a decision that could potentially have major or even minor political implications in the country, the Justice Department will hit the pause button because they don't want any ruling they make or any decision they make or any decision to prosecute someone to have an impact on an American election. And I actually have a lot of respect for that. James Comey violated it. So that was the first crack in the ceiling when James Comey said probably two, maybe three weeks out from the 2016 presidential election when he made this announcement, he gave this press conference and he was, we were inside that window of where the department of justice doesn't do anything that could even look somewhat politically motivated. There's a 60 day window prior to an election where you just, you don't do anything. You just pause, you let the next administration come in. And if there's an investigation, you allow that investigation to, to proceed. Right? Well, James Comey all of a sudden out of nowhere. said, Oh, we found some more Hillary Clinton emails. Just wanted to let you know. Yes, we found some more. Now, hindsight being 2020 and it's all water under the bridge. But it very well may have had some kind of impact on that election. Mary Garland, I think, is a different kind of prosecutor in that when we are inside that 60 day window, I believe the current U.S. Department of Justice will not pursue any additional action. They will let the presidential election unfold and it will deal with the results and then he will move forward. The series of delays that the Supreme Court is now granting Donald Trump potentially puts the most egregious things he is charged with inside of that 60 day window. You know what happens if Trump gets reelected? And right now, I don't know the way some of y'all are acting. I, I don't know how y'all feel. I think a lot of y'all going to stay home. You got people in Michigan voting, no confidence or whatever they're doing, just messing around and doing stuff they don't need to do. Like this is. This is the fate of the world that is hinging upon the decisions that Americans make in November. And I don't know about y'all, but I, I don't trust Americans like I used to. I don't know if I trust 
your willingness to just take a risk on somebody new. So I'm going to get into more details of exactly where we are. There's also a, a poll that has come out and whatever stock you guys put in polls depends on the poll and depends on how upset I get by its results. That's how much stock I put in it. Americans are actually becoming more and more okay with this thing called Christian nationalism. When I interviewed Marjorie Taylor Greene, she described herself on this show in front of me, you, God, and everybody else that she is a Christian nationalist, which is kind of like a cute way to say white supremacist. So Axios does this poll. They publish the results of this poll that more and more Americans are actually okay with Christian nationalism taking root in this country. Have we learned nothing from history? Oh, that's a stupid question. Clearly we haven't. All right, ladies and gentlemen, got a lot to discuss today. Of course, your phone calls and comments and text messages are always welcome. 833-212-1017-833-212-1017. The truth with Sherwin Hughes will be right back. Don't touch that dial. The Truth with Sherwin Hughes will be right back on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. You are listening to The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. Welcome back to the program in the studio. And I'm privileged to have Pennsylvania State Rep Malcolm Kenyatta in the studio. Mr. State Rep, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm privileged I'm privileged to be here. We're certainly glad to have you. I wish we could have brought you better weather, but don't worry. Come back for a couple <laughs> of days in July. It might be 80 or 90 degrees. I look forward to that. You are here to talk about President Joe Biden's accomplishments for yeah. the African-American community. And it's shocking to me that we have to have so many conversations about what this president has done, because you would think that they would be obvious and apparent. You would think with the economy being staved from recession, you would think that with the first African-American woman appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court, you would think with the first black woman who is the vice president of the United States, you would think that was enough in his dedication to student loan forgiveness. You would think, but yet here we are. So from your perspective, Representative what do you believe the African-American community and voters may be missing in assessing all of the things that Joe Biden has done to keep this country moving forward? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Um, you know, part of the reason why, you know, I'm here among the president's uh, national advisory committee for uh, for the reelection. And, you know, this president is doing something that doesn't always happen. And I, and I know and I know that you know this which is uh, recognize that black folks exist before October of the election year. <laughs> um, you know, this this campaign is, is, is doing something markedly, you know, markedly different in terms of treating black voters with the 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 respect of, you know, treating them like persuasion voters, as we often do to voters in the suburbs. For example, you go every election, and you really try to try to make your your case. Um, and I think this president is trying to disrupt this narrative um, that uh, that you just talk to black voters when we get close to the election, expect them to show up. He has a a record of success, um, a record that we're very proud of, um, and we're taking the campaign directly to folks and to your station and everywhere that we can as early as possible to talk about 
to talk about that that success. You highlighted some of it, um, but I, let me just let me underscore what you mentioned about student loan debt because I think a lot of people don't dig into the weeds of some of these uh, policies that this administration has rolled out. You know, not only have we seen the direct cancellation for. So many Americans, including 153,000 just last week, um, complete cancellation of their of their debts. But because of the SAVE program, which is this program the president, Department of Ed, rolled out after the Supreme Court ruled that he couldn't do the expansive debt relief that he wanted to do. You have four million Americans who have zero dollar monthly payment. All you got to do is go online, fill out the paperwork, and you pay zero dollars, and yet you still have those those payments counted. We went from having just a few thousand people actually get public student loan forgiveness. Talk about people who are nurses and teachers and firefighters um, who, after ten years, your loans are supposed to be wiped away under the Trump administration. People weren't actually getting their loans forgiven, even though the program said they're supposed to get their loans forgiven. Now we've had over 800,000 Americans get their loans wiped away because of the president's commitment to make that program work. So on the macro and on the micro level, you have a president who's involved in the details and who's looking at every single you know lever available to get things done for people. We're speaking with State Representative Pennsylvania. State Representative Malcolm Kenyatta, who is also a member of the National Campaign Advisory Board for the Biden-Harris campaign. And we are very, very glad that you're here. You know, a lot of this is going to come down to us, state representative, because they're going to blame the black folks if we don't turn out. (laughs) And it's the craziest thing ever, right? Because you have all these other different constituency groups that oftentimes will vote for a Republican are the reason why Republicans get elected. But if African-Americans don't vote in a 99.99% number for the Democrat then everything always falls on us. You are here in Milwaukee. We're glad you're here. But it's not just us. It's going to be Detroit. It's also going to be Philadelphia. That's right. That's Philly right. is going to be extremely important in getting Pennsylvania to be a very necessary blue state. What are you talking to folks about in Philly? Because there's a lot of parallels between between our cities, including the segregation and all sorts of yep, you know yep. negative statistics that we see in our respective communities and our, and our cities. What are some commonalities between Philly and how you're talking to people in your home district and some of the things you're saying out on the campaign trail nationwide. Listen, I don't, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a, uh, you know, a different, different message. Um, you know, for me, it's the same everywhere. the The reality is, and it's a question that we have to answer. We answer it with, with how we vote in this next election, or whether we choose to vote. Is are the people who you love best in the world? Do they do they matter? Do they matter? And if they do, and I think they should to you then I think they are worth us getting up and voting, voting by mail, voting in person, um, whatever, whatever it takes, because I think we have a crystal clear distinction here. And you've been talking about some of it. I was listening to you before I came in. You have a guy in Donald Trump who has made it clear he does not care about black families in Milwaukee. He could care less about trying to make the KRM transit line or a direct line from, uh, you know, trying to expand opportunities um, for, for people to get to work. 
to get to school, to get to their doctor's appointment. He could care less about making a direct line from Milwaukee to Madison, for example. And we know the we know the impacts that expanded transit in this region could have. That's true for Philadelphia as well. That's a real parallel, the real need for public transportation. You've seen this president and Joe Biden invest billions of dollars into expanding mass transit and all the economic opportunities that come that come along with that. You have a guy in Donald Trump who could care less about working families, about dealing with the persistent poverty that has made life difficult for folks here in parts of Milwaukee and North 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 Milwaukee and also in North Philly. Um, but in this president, Joe Biden, you have a guy who fought and is still fighting to bring back the child tax credit, which we know cut black child poverty in half, a guy who's been committed. And because of his economic agenda, we see the smallest gap between uh, black and white wealth that we've ever seen in this nation. Unemployment for, for, for black Americans is lowest than it's ever been. And so everywhere we go, there is a real contrast here that is crystal clear. And, I, you know, I know I'm from Philly, and so I always get a little... Uh, you know, Pollyannish when I talk about this, but I mean it. We cannot allow democracy to, to to die on our watch. And I start with the democracy piece because that is the foundation with which economic uh, opportunity, uh, the right to control your own body and make your own health care uh, decisions, the right to feel and be safe in your neighborhood. None of those things are possible if we don't have the core foundation of, of a democracy. And that is what Donald Trump is trying to disrupt. Pennsylvania State Representative Malcolm Kenyon, who represents the good people of the 181st District in Philadelphia County. He is also a member of the National Campaign Advisory Board for the Biden-Harris campaign. He joins us live in studio. Uh, State Rep, I want you to clear something up for us. Apparently, Joe Biden is old. Somebody keeps saying (laughs) that Joe Biden is old. You know, I'm hearing it from all sorts of people. But I really hear from young people, oh, why can't we get somebody younger? Maybe he's all out of touch. Let me tell you what's confusing for me, and maybe you can clear this up, because you're a young person, too, 33 years old. That's right. I'm young to everybody but my godkids who think I'm, like, 33 years old. But they're wrong. They're wrong. I hope they're listening. Let me tell you what. When I was 33, the world was different, but that's neither here nor there. (laughs) Young voters, I can remember back to, let's say, 2016, Mm -hmm. where really, really young Americans were just enthralled by a guy named Bernie Sanders. And it's odd that Bernie's age didn't matter to some of the same folks who say Biden's age does matter, not to mention Joe Biden and Donald Trump literally were in high school at the exact same time. So this whole thing with age is just a farce that was made up by the media because what really is confusing to me how young Americans in 2016 really put their support behind Bernie Sanders, who is actually older than Joe Biden is. So what do we make of this this Joe Biden's age thing? You know, listen, I I can't tell people what, what they should think is important or not, but this is what I can say. You do have two people who are effectively the same age um, in Joe Biden and Donald Trump. But the question for me is, who cares about my generation? Who cares about my future? Who is advancing ideas that's going to make it easier for me to buy that buy that first home, to live a life that's not stifled by student loan debt? Who's the person who cares about my ability uh, to, to to start or expand a family if I if I if I make that decision for for myself? 
Who cares about the ability for us to address the persistent challenges on a variety of different fronts that black folks have been talking about forever? Affordable housing, um, access to quality health care, dealing with the crisis of gun violence. Who cares about those things? Only one person does. And I don't even think people are making an argument that Donald Trump has a plan to address any of those things. Donald Trump has a plan to focus on himself, to focus on his family. Joe Biden has moved the needle on a number of things. But do not get me wrong. There's much more to do. And I say to people, you don't run for office because you think everything's accomplished. (laughs) You run for office because you know there's a lot more um, to do. And I I think, you know, the president is a a great family man. Um, You know, I've gotten to know him and his family well. I'm sure he, like you and anybody who has any type of public platform, there's so much that you give up when when you decide to be of service uh, to people. Time spent doing all the stuff that you want to do and all the things that I'm sure he wants to do even more of as a grandparent and as a father and as a husband. But this president understand what's at stake. There's only one person who has beat Donald Trump. His name is Joe Biden. And he's going to beat him again. Representative Malcolm Kenyatta is in the studio. He represents the good people of the 181st District in Philadelphia County. Should we make anything of the most recent Michigan primary where a number of folks voted, quote unquote, uncommitted? Mm. Should we also be concerned about challenges from third party candidates, which could potentially hurt Joe Biden and or Donald Trump? Well, let me let me let me take your th- your third party uh, thing first. You know, no labels is, uh, you know, one of the groups that's uh, really front and center in this. You know, and in one breath, they say they don't want to do anything to to help to help Donald Trump. In another breath, they are continuing to take a bunch of money from huge Trump donors to field a a, a candidate, um, possibly, um, that would do nothing to advance their stated goal of not supporting Donald Trump. In fact, it could possibly do do the opposite of that. And so so we'll we'll take that. Um, But but I would say this. um, This next election is about whether or not we have the right to vote in free and fair future elections. It's about whether or not we have a First Amendment that resembles any type of First Amendment that we're used to, where people can make their voices heard. And I know that this president uh, and this vice president respects everybody's vote and voice. And so when you look at the the percentage of people who voted non-committed, it's not too far off from the percentage of people who voted non-committed when President Obama ran for re-election. Um, but we also saw many more people vote. I think the president got over 600, almost 700,000 uh, votes in the Michigan primary. President uh, Obama, by contrast, I think in the 2012 election, maybe 180,000 uh, people voted for the president at that time. And so you mentioned before the polls, you mentioned, uh, you know, what happened in Michigan. I think that we have to look at not the polls. We have to look at the results of the election. The results of the election is President Biden got over 80 percent of the vote in Michigan. And he has been crystal clear that folks who are rightfully frustrated about what's happening around the world and frustrated about a variety of different things. Let's be clear. People vote uncommitted for a bunch of different reasons. Um, 
he hears those folks. He's not ignoring them. He's not saying, you know, just shut up and, and, and vote. Um, he's saying, I hear you. I know that he's doing everything he he, he can um, on the frustration that people feel. And a part of the reason I'm here is to listen to people, not come with an ask, um, but to come with an ear um, and hear clearly what people are saying, what they want this administration to work on. But I do know that when it's all said and done, um, we're going to need anybody who cares about the future of democracy Anybody who cares about their quality of life um, and anybody who has somebody in their family that they love and who they think deserves every chance and opportunity to look at this clear choice that we're going to have in November. Um, Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee. Joe Biden is going to be the Democratic nominee. The question is, who cares about your family? And I think for my family, um, the answer is certainly Joe Biden. Pennsylvania State Representative Malcolm Kenyatta, who was also a member of the National Campaign Advisory Board for the Biden-Harris campaign. Thank you for coming. I enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate you're, it, man. You're welcome back anytime. I can't fact, wait. Come back with some better weather, too. Yeah, we'll we, Indeed, you will. We'll, you'll bring some better weather with you. Thanks again for being here. Thank you, brother. The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on 1017 FM. We'll be right back. The Truth with Sherwin Hughes returns after this on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. More of The Truth with Sherwin Hughes is next on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. So I want to get back to trying to demystify what's going on with the U.S. Supreme Court and their their decision to delay hearing the Donald Trump case regarding election interference on January 6th and all of the things that went on January 6th. The fact that they're hearing the case means that there are some justices on the court that believe that Donald Trump should be immune from prosecution of committing any crimes while he is president. So I want you guys to keep that in mind. That is going to be the everlasting theme of all of these things that are happening in Donald Trump's criminal entanglements. Can a president of the United States commit crimes and be immune from prosecution while you're in office. Can any human being in the United States, we don't care who you are, what your title is, can you ever, 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 ever be immune from prosecution when you commit a crime, when you commit a federal crime? It seems to be a no-brainer. If you're in the United States, we don't care who you are. If you commit a crime in a nation of laws, you should be prosecuted. Full stop. We can't make any exceptions. But here is the legal argument where some justices, and I think you know which ones, are not exactly sure. They want to give U.S. presidents latitude to commit crimes while they're in office because while they're in their active capacity as president, you should have wide latitude to do all sorts of things that could be in the interest of national security, blah, 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 whatever. Donald Trump will have potentially legal standing to remain president forever. Because if he commits additional crimes, if he gets reelected, he'll say, I can't leave the presidency because I may possibly be subject to prosecution for things that I did while I was serving as president. They are literally setting up the legal precedent for Donald Trump to be president forever. And if you think that can happen, if you think that, Mitch McConnell not allowing Merrick Garland to get a fair hearing when Barack Obama still had one Supreme Court selection picked. This is what they have always been trying to do. First, they were going to get Roe. 
They got it. Now they want to implement this thing called the unitary executive theory. And Richard Nixon tried and failed. But that was the litmus test to see how far America could go with flirting with authoritarianism. Because other countries have done it. And we sit here and wonder, well, how could that have happened in Italy with Mussolini? How could that have happened in Russia with Stalin? How could that have happened in socialist Germany with Hitler? You're looking at it. And then when I try and like communicate the gravity of where we are as a nation. Like the United States of America was never equipped to be the multicultural democracy that it actually should be. It just said that and promoted that because it sounds good. You ever tell somebody they look good in those jeans when they look terrible in those jeans? You really want to tell them the truth, but you can't saying the United States can be a wonderful melting pot and a multicultural democracy sounds good. Basically, our country looks fat in these jeans and nobody is actually telling us. We say things that feel good and that sound good because we want America to be seen as a beacon of hope and a beacon of light where people can come from all over the world and make this a wonderful place. You don't really believe that, do you? Look at what we're doing to people that are actually trying to come to this country to make it better. And I've got more faith in immigrants than I do in fellow Americans. It is just a veneer of equality and of fairness. If that was the case, we wouldn't have these wide disparities. The, the, the disparities that exist in this country are job security for me because I get to keep talking about them. We are not equipped, at least not currently, to be a multicultural democracy because of the racial and class hangups that we still have in this nation. And I don't know what it's going to take to get over. Maybe it's more education. Maybe Americans need to travel more and see the world more and see how other countries operate. I'm not sure what it is, but we are deathly afraid that people that we have suppressed, oppressed and repressed for so long as their populations grow and the oppressive class shrinks. People are like, we need to end democracy because the last thing that this nation wants is a country full of minorities and people of color who will become the political ruling class. That's why they want to blow it all up. That is why democracy is on the table, because they would rather have no democracy at all, none at all, than to have those minority scoundrels assume the halls of power. Because eventually that is what's going to happen, because our populations are growing, their populations are shrinking. You can even look at the same, if you don't believe me, look at the healthcare debate. This is a service that all of you are going to need. Come hell or high water, you're going to need to go to the doctor. You're going to need to see a nurse. You're going to need medicine. You're going to need treatment. You're going to need surgery. Some of you have already had all of the above. The United States can prioritize treating its citizens with free or at least subsidize and reduce cost health care. There's a reason why we don't do it. There's a reason why. It's also the same reason why we have a 20% donut hole in Medicare. Because if you have universal health care, which we could take a fraction of what we spend on the military and y'all could go to the doctor for free. Your medicine would be free. Your prescription would be free. Seeing a specialist would be free. Transplants would be free. All the medical devices you need could be free because that is a commitment that a nation makes to its people. You want your people to be healthy. You want them to be happy. Why? So they can be competitive. But there's a reason why we don't do that. It's because we don't want minorities and those people that we want to oppress, suppress and repress to get anything. So the whole country will suffer. Just so minorities don't get health care, no one gets health care. 
the democracy, which could work to level the playing field, especially as time goes on and demographics shift and people that have been oppressed, suppressed and repressed when they start getting in the halls of power and they look at policy making a little bit different. They say, hey, you know what? Let's fix these things. These things are antiquated systems that keep people you know, in different classes, this hurts people's upward mobility. Let's forgive student loan debt because it will ultimately be better for everybody. If democracy has the ability to level the playing field, then this nation doesn't want it anymore. And Donald Trump is the one to end it. If you have a conversation with a loyal Donald Trump supporter, you will understand within five minutes. They fear us. They fear that we are going to do the harm to them that they have sought to do to us. And I don't know what else we got to say or do to tell these folks that are afraid of us. And Donald Trump is the one that's leading these people in the dark. But I don't know what more we could do. Barack Obama didn't institute white slavery. Now, he did support a tax increase on tanning beds, which some of y'all caught that some of y'all didn't like that was racist of Barack Obama, but that was about the worst of it. And if anything, he was doing that to save people's health because you know, white people are allergic to the sun. You would think they would stay out of it and literally kills them sad. But there's a feeling that if you allow minority populations, people of color, black people to assume power, They even want to make it harder for us to vote, because if it's harder for us to vote, then the likelihood that we will vote for one another and get one another elected in office is reduced. They're doing every single thing they possibly can to prevent us from using this democracy to better our lives and to better this nation. They're literally using everything. And when they think for a moment that this multicultural democracy might actually be exactly that White people are afraid because they know what the democracy can do because they used it against us, didn't they? And they believe that if we get in their same politically powerful positions, we will do to them what they have done to us. We have zero interest in that. I don't know who else I got to convince, but they're ready to blow this entire experiment up because Donald Trump will not allow a multicultural democracy to persist. If anything, they're going to start shooting migrants at the border. Donald Trump's first week in office. The Supreme Court, some members of this court see a version of a permanent unitary executive that has all of the power over the federal government. That is why they are deciding to even hear this case. This case has been decided in district courts already. Donald Trump committed crimes when he was president of the United States. And because he is a person in the United States, he should be prosecuted. But there's justice that say, well, not really. All they need is the precedent to say As president, you can commit any crime you want. Now, ultimately, what's going to happen is this. As president, there are some things you can do in the name of national security because presidents kill people. They'll order dictators killed. You know, they'll start covert wars in other countries, especially if there's an anti-American sentiment in another country. We'll go in and destroy that government and put in a more sympathetic American government. We've been doing that since the beginning of time. So presidents do have latitude to kill. In the interest of American national security, we give presidents a lot of latitude. What Donald Trump will be able to do is take the ability for presidents to break laws, okay, allow Donald Trump to break additional laws and never face any kind of prosecution as long as he is president, as long as he committed these crimes, whatever they are, in the quote-unquote interest of the American people and in the interest of national security, he'll never get prosecuted. But if he is no longer president— then he could be subject to prosecution. 
You know what that means? He's got to stay president forever. If he stays president forever, then all the crimes that he commit, he'll never be subject to prosecution. This is a legitimate argument that this U.S. Supreme Court is going to make, and they're going to make it in front of your face. And we're going to sit here. Let me just read some of these text messages here. Y'all over here worried about electric cars. That is the prevailing concern in our text messages here at 833-212-1017. Biden's new auto ads supporting our normal everyday cars and trucks are the determining factors if he wins or not. Huh? An electric car? Y'all are more afraid of a car that can get plugged into an outlet than authoritarian dictators that will literally reorder slavery again. I, I, okay. Well, it looks like I got some work to do, which is fine because that's more job security for me. You're listening to The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on 1017 FM. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. The Truth with Sherwin Hughes will be right back on 1017 The Truth. The Truth app and 1017thetruth.com. This is The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. Supreme Court ruled yesterday that Trump's D.C. criminal trial the one concerning his attempt to steal the 2020 presidential election must be delayed for at least another two months. The court already effectively delayed his trial for an additional two and a half months in an order handed down last December. So do you see what they're doing? They're allowing Donald Trump to use his tactic that he always uses. Donald Trump never defends his behavior. His tactic is to delay. Now, if they can delay it just enough, just enough, just enough to where the trial may begin within 60 days of the presidential election, our Department of Justice will pause the prosecution because they don't want the trial to interfere with the Americans soon to go and vote to pick another president. Meaning the likelihood. So the likelihood of Donald Trump getting elected in 2024 I'm going to liken it to his chances of getting elected in 2016. And I thought it was far-fetched. I thought it was a ridiculous proposition. I thought it was interesting to watch someone who was a failed businessman and reality TV star flirt with running for president. But Hillary Clinton just seems so unbeatable that, okay, go ahead and let Donald Trump run. He'll lose. Hillary Clinton will be president. It is what it is. They knew. They knew in 2016 that Donald Trump was going to beat Hillary Clinton. I didn't know. Mitch McConnell knew. Because here's what's crazy. Merrick Garland was President Barack Obama's third Supreme Court selection. Merrick Garland, who served on the Seventh Circuit in D.C., which is basically like the farm team for the U.S. Supreme Court. And so the U.S. Senate, which was Republican-controlled at the time, has to vote to appoint Merrick Garland to the D.C. Circuit. So all federal judges... Appellate court judges, district court judges at the federal level all have to be approved by the Senate. Merrick Garland was so well liked by Republicans that a majority in the U.S. Senate, a majority of Republicans, voted to put Merrick Garland in the D.C. Circuit, knowing that he eventually would be a Supreme Court justice. Right. So it wasn't about Barack Obama picking somebody that was incredibly extreme that would have been a crazy lefty communist liberal. Barack Obama selected somebody that was probably even more moderate than Obama wanted, but he knew that Merrick Garland had already gotten Republican votes to get on the D.C. circuit. Do you follow me? So Merrick Garland being on the Supreme Court 
was a comfortable choice for Republicans. Even anti-Obama Republicans were cool with Merrick Garland. So Obama was like, look, I'm not trying to rock the boat. I'll just put somebody or nominate somebody to the Supreme Court that Republicans are already cool with. But Mitch McConnell said, no, we're not even going to give him a hearing. Think about this for a second. The justice that Hillary Clinton would have put on the Supreme Court had she been elected would have been way, way, way more liberal than Merrick Garland. The Republicans were actually safe by giving Barack Obama Merrick Garland, but they knew they knew they knew that Trump was going to beat Hillary Clinton. And they knew that by stopping Merrick Garland's appointment to the U.S. Supreme Court, that they were going to give Trump a pick. They knew it. I think they know now that Trump may beat Joe Biden. And the way I'm listening to some of y'all talk, it's very possible. So that is why the Supreme Court is continuing to play along with Donald Trump's strategy of delay, 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 delay. Just like they delayed, delayed, delayed Merrick Garland. They are literally doing the same thing. It is amazing when history repeats itself from an 80-year saculum to the next 80-year saculum. But it's amazing to see history repeat itself in eight year cycles. The order is a colossal victory for Trump and could potentially allow him to evade all criminal responsibility for his attempts to overthrow the 2020 election altogether. Trump's goal is to delay his trials until after election day. Should he prevail in the next presidential election, he can order the justice department to drop all federal charges against him immediately. Trump was able to secure such an order from the justices by exploiting the fact that the federal judiciary ordinarily does not allow two different courts to have jurisdiction over the same case at the same time. So when a party to a lawsuit or a criminal proceeding appeals a trial court's decision, the trial court often loses authority over that case until the the appeal is resolved. I'm going to pause there and pick it back up for hour two. The truth was Sherwin Hughes will be back shortly. 